Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you today, a homeschool father of five, now grandfather of five as well. Steve Vaughn with me, homeschool father of six. And uh, no thank you for co hosting today. No grandkids yet. <laughs> None yet. Two married. Uh, all right. And, Very good. Uh, yeah. Very good. And you guys aren't quite done with homeschooling at this point, are you? We're on our last kid last year. Okay. So. Very good. Very good. Uh, we're starting all over again with the grandkids. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the way it works. When you have this generational vision operating, well, friends, uh, we, we like to bring the Word of God to bear on every issue. And sometimes I like to see where things are going wrong in order to understand how the Word of God puts it right. So we get insight of where things go wrong, and then we go to the Word of God and find out how the Word of God speaks to that issue. Where are we missing it? Where is American evangelicalism missing it? And how do we apply the Word of God to get it right? And some of these stories, I think, are helpful to that end. And Steve, here's another story of Andy Stanley, who um, turns out to be one of the usual suspects these days. He's turned away from the Old Testament. He tells people not to obey the Ten Commandments. And I don't think he exaggerates on these things. He doesn't come back and say, well, I didn't quite mean to say that. Uh, There's really no correction to his previous outrageous statements. And he continues to, I think, increasingly exemplify so much of what American Christianity is all about. And here's another example of that. Richard Land writes this article for the Christian Post. He's a pastor and past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He writes the story on Andy Stanley and his troubling message as spiritual shepherd of the flock. And Richard Land writes this, If people are not hearing a sure, certain, and uncompromising word from the pulpit, where will they find truth in this increasingly secular age in which Americans find themselves immersed? Let us always remember this prince of darkness, the great deceiver, is able to transform himself into an angel of light and that Christians must put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Amen. And the devil's wily, deceitful, strategic. If Satan can deceive and neutralize a pastor, it is the spiritual equivalent of an expert sniper neutralizing and taking out the commander of a military unit. This is one of many reasons we should pray for our pastors, indeed all pastors, every day. It is certainly they are going to get the special attention of Lucifer and his demonic minions. It is with profound sadness that I bring to your attention a subtle but profound example of a devastating anti-biblical teaching coming from one of the leading evangelical pulpiteers in America today, Andy Stanley. All right, so he quotes Andy Stanley, quote, a gay person who still wants to attend church after the way they've been treated, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. He goes on to say that gay men, gay women who come to faith in Christ as adults want to participate in our church. After acknowledging, dismissing with a casual wave of his hand, the equally dismissive statement, I know, I know, 1 Corinthians 6, I know Leviticus, I know Romans 1. So interesting to talk about all this stuff, but just a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12, 13, 14, 15, God said no, and they still love God. We have something to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and want to worship with us. And Richard Lynch says, frankly, this is an astounding statement from a leading evangelical pastor. When God did not answer the cry of their heart, 
Is he saying that God was wrong in not accepting their sexual orientation, or is he saying that God should have answered their prayer by changing that orientation? Either option is blasphemous. And he goes on and said, you know, he's a pastor in the French Quarter in New Orleans in the 1970s, and they had some transformations. They watched transformations of homosexuals. Uh, The church was in the vicinity of a gay bar right around the corner, drag queen costume shop across the street during the Jesus movement. So, you know, of course, now you've got all of this happening in your local public schools. (laughs) And libraries. And libraries, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But back then it was basically just one position. It was the French Quarter in New Orleans and, of course, well, out in San Francisco. But that was pretty much it in the early 1970s. And he said they had a number of folks that came in. 90% 90% of the church's membership, fairly new Christians, a high percentage of them addicted to drugs in the fairly recent past, is a multi-ethnic church as well. And my fiance, now my wife and I, were known as the Straits. My church members took their transformative Christian faith very seriously, which meant, among other things, they were witnessing machines. Several homosexuals converted to faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, some from one-on-one witnessing, some through attending church services, hearing evangelistic sermons. We always welcomed anyone in our church services, Bible studies, and other outreach programs, whether they were church members or not. He says, we made it clear that we loved and accepted homosexuals because Jesus did, but that neither Jesus nor we accepted those things in their lives that were condemned as sinful by our Savior. So even if they had experienced a conversion experience, until they removed such behaviors, in other words, unless there was repentance, they could not be church members or in positions of leadership. That is, if they had not represented repentance and the fruits of repentance, they could not be members of the church. Okay, so that that's Richard Land and his take on Andy Stanley in an article published in thechristianpost.com. So let's talk about this in just a moment. I, I want to take this thing apart a bit and, uh, and ask the question, what would Jesus do? That next on Generation, stay with us. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we're back on Generations. Steve on with me. Steve, it seems to me that Andy Stanley is off the tracks, but he does represent a fair percentage of modern Christians, even evangelical Christians, in their perception of homosexual orientation and identity. Yeah. Um, I, 
you know, when you when you brought this up before we we aired this program, before we recorded this program, um, I mentioned that I had actually read uh, some stuff. That I got this from Peter Heck, who has a blog. It's also uh, printed on in the in not the bee, um, and it talks about uh, Andy Stanley and this position. And this is not anything that's new. Uh, there is a, a pastor who who tweeted and on his Twitter account. Ryan Visconti said that back in September of 2019, he was called with 15 other pastors to a question and answer time with Andy Stanley, who started to talk about homosexuality. And he said it was a very heretical view of homosexuality. And he said he was shocked that to find himself arguing with Andy Stanley along with other pastors, despite our respect for him. And that he said that homosexuality is really a disability using the analogy that telling people that they have to stop being gay to follow Christ is like taking a wheelchair away from a guy who can't walk. And, and so they're, they're arguing with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he did say, you know, he has never performed a gay wedding, but it isn't that he wouldn't in the future. For instance, if his granddaughter uh, was a lesbian and asked him to perform the wedding, that he, he might do that. And it wasn't just Ryan Visconti. After he had posted all this, there were two other pastors that said they were there and they concurred with everything that he said. They, they, there were three witnesses now that have said that Andy Stanley has been saying these things at least since 2019. And Peter Heck in his blog said, we now have three witnesses. He needs to answer for this position. This is pretty significant and egregious stuff. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is speaking of when he addresses Jezebel at Thyatira Pergamos. This is... This is the sort of thing that the Christian church has opposed for 2,000 years. And at, at some of the highest levels, this is a heresy at some of the very highest levels in the history of Christianity. Um, but, but let me step back and, and just analyze how the world looks at Jesus. Okay, what the world will do is they'll turn to Luke chapter 5 and verse 29. Let me read this to you, Steve. The, the world hears this. And, and what do they think? What do they say? Luke 5.29, then Levi, or Matthew, gave Jesus a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the cr- scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, now, that's how the world views Jesus. Now, they refuse to go on to the next verse. They're not going to go to the next verse. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> now, they'll just stop right here. Now, why do they start here? Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. He partied with them. He likes to hang out with the scum of the earth. He loves sinning people, and when they sin, he loves their sin and loves to party with them. Now, of course, that's blasphemous, but the world doesn't want to go on to the next verse. The, the Bible is a book that is taken out of context by the world. Now, would you like me to read the next verse, Steve? Okay. So Jesus is eating yeah. with tax yeah. collectors and sinners. The Pharisees come to him and say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And the world says, see, he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. That's the kind of guy he was. And that's where they stop. Now you move on to the next verse. Jesus answered and said to them, those 
who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What he's saying is these publicans and sinners are sick. They're just sick. And they need to be well. Now, let's be very clear about this. Jesus did not come to call people who did not perceive themselves to be sick or sinners. Let me say that one more time. Jesus did not come to call people who did not perceive themselves to be sick or sinners. He didn't come to call Pharisees and Sadducees. Homosexual activists are Pharisees. Okay? Homosexual activists are Pharisees. They don't see themselves as sinners. Now, back in the 1990s, before Christians lost the macrocultural battle, we live out near Focus on the Family here in Colorado. And there were guys who were protesting outside of Focus on the Family, and they were from a homosexual church, and they protested outside of the gates of Focus on the Family. They were interviewed by the Colorado Springs Gazette, and the quote goes like this, the the leader of the homosexuals were protesting against Focus on the Family's somewhat conservative biblical principles in relation to homosexual marriage. And so... This leader among the homosexuals turned to the Gazette and said, these people in here think there's something wrong with us that needs to be fixed. Okay, Jesus did not come to call that guy to repentance. He he didn't come to call that Pharisee, that homosexual activist. He's the righteous. He perceives himself as as righteous. He doesn't perceive himself as a sinner. The point is that homosexual activists are Pharisees. They, they don't perceive themselves to need Jesus. He came to call sinners, people who perceive themselves to be sinners, to repentance. This means that the church must be busy calling people to repentance, which, of course, is a generally unpopular word among churches today. People hate messages about repentance. Just tell me about it. I mean, you, you preach repentance messages and call people to a change of mind on fundamental issues. In, in relation to the zeitgeist of the day, they will hate you for it. Guaranteed. This is the sort of message nobody really wants to preach unless they want to be beaten to death out in the church parking lot. Okay. I'm telling you, that's, that's, the, that's the way people look at this repentance issue today. But what, what is repentance? What is a repentance message? It's truth presented beside the falsehood. What faithful preachers do, as Jesus did back then, he contrasts truth and error. He says, this is sin. This is a violation of God's commandments against the autonomy, the cultural norms of a society that rejects God's laws. And he calls them to change their minds concerning these sins. He defines sins as thought issues, as words, just looking at a woman or a man to lust after them. And then he calls them to change their mind about how they look at these sinful patterns in their lives. And and then he forgives them. And then he says, go and sin no more. So that's the process. And that's why a church worth its salt is going to present the message of God's law against the cultural norms of the day and say, okay, this is a violation of God's law. And these sorts of sins will take you to hell. But I'm calling you to a change of mind, to see things as God sees things, to see sin as God sees sin, to call it sin, to cry out to God for mercy and deliverance from those sins, and healing 
of your body, healing of your mind, healing of your soul, healing of your heart, and all of that, that salvation that can only come by a miraculous work of Almighty God in your life, and then he forgives your sin, and then he enables you to get up and, and to walk in newness of life. So that's the process. That's, that's what the gospel is all about. But the Pharisees and Sadducees and the homosexual activists hate the message. It's only humble sinners, publicans, prostitutes who are repentant who love the message and eventually find salvation. Why? Because they do fall on their faces before God and cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, a violator of the commandments of God. I've habitually violated the commandments of God. I've been lustful. I've been covetous. I have lusted after things that you have said no to, and I have developed a habit in my life, an orientation in my life towards that lusting, and I cry out for your mercy to cleanse me and to forgive me of these sins. And a publican does that sort of thing, he will walk home justified. That's what Jesus says in the parable. Over and over in the Proverbs as well, that uh, you know the fools despise wisdom. Those who are wise seek out correction. But if you never think that you're wrong, you're not looking to be corrected. And, and, and that's the perspective that these proud gays take to this issue. You know, again, here's one of the things that I said on uh, the Combs show. I was interviewed by Alan Combs about a year before he died. And I told Alan Combs, I said, proud gays are going to hell, but humble homosexuals who fall on their face and cry out, God have mercy on men a sinner, they will go to heaven. So, and I say the same thing today. So friends, let me get back to this comment from Pastor Andy. He said, homosexuals have more faith than he does. That may be true, but that doesn't say much for whatever faith he has. Andy Stanley also blames God for this sexual orientation. At least here's his argument. God doesn't answer the cry of the heart of those who wanted to rid themselves of their inclination to sin, so they just are going to have to continue to pursue the homosexual lifestyle and love God and worship God and pursue the homosexual lifestyle at the same time. So that's his argument. Now, that's a serious challenge in the face of God himself, and I think a serious challenge to us. So I think it demands an answer. He's challenging God, but he's also challenging those of us who are hearing his message. And I want to provide a serious, thoughtful answer to this challenge. Evidently, there were homosexuals who at 13, 14, 15, 16 years of age, they prayed to God and God did not answer that prayer. That's what he's saying. Now, a couple of things here. First of all, what is saving faith? Saving faith is resting on Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. It's believing, trusting, resting on the Lord Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king as he has been presented to us in the gospel. That's saving faith. There's a couple other elements of saving faith that are important. First, there must be a persistence to saving faith. There are many pliables that run into a little hassle on the way to the wicked gate, as in the case of pliable in Pilgrim's Progress. You remember the character at all, Steve? He gets yeah. stuck in the slew yeah. of despond, as I recall. And yeah. what happens? Well, he gets out of the slew of despond and says, forget this. What a hassle. And he marches back into the city of destruction. So you see that happening in ministry all the time. People just give up on God when he doesn't answer their immediate beck and call. Okay? Now, what does Jesus say about this? Well, Luke 11, verse 5, Jesus said to them, which of you have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend? 
lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, don't trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he has a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And Jesus gives us to the disciples in the context of teaching them the Lord's Prayer. And then he says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. But what is he saying? He's saying the faith will be demonstrated by persistence, by waiting upon God, by persistent praying to God, by pressing in on God, by knocking and knocking and knocking and not giving up. So sometimes there's a testing of that faith as God holds out. Okay, secondly, saving faith also has an enduring quality to it. This is Hebrews 10.35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So there are those who draw back. But, says in verse 39, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Meaning that there is an enduring quality to saving faith. Now, chapter 12 picks it up again. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that showed up in chapter 11 of Hebrews, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith and so forth. Now, the parable of the sower also presents certain folks, those who receive the seed on the stony ground as believing for a while. But when the sun of tribulation, temptation comes out, they collapse. They wilt and die. Now, we're not talking about losing salvation here. We're just simply saying that there is a lack of faith, enduring faith, saving faith. It's a cheesy faith that, that doesn't go the distance. Okay, so, so that's just the way it goes. You're going to see there's different kinds of faith, but the saving faith is that which is enduring faith. And of course, that itself is the gift of God. Now, I think the most egregious thing that Andy Stanley says in all of this, Steve, is that uh, that God just couldn't quite deliver them from their orientation <laughs> or identity. Yeah. That just irks me. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you know, he just didn't quite have enough power to deliver them from that sin or that orientation. So I guess the guy's just going to have to continue in that condition and just God will just have to love them the way they are because he just doesn't have the power to do anything about it. Yeah. That reminds me of the whole eye of the needle thing. And you know, when they say, well then who can be saved? And Jesus says with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God has the power to save. Yeah. And you know what? I, I think what's happened with modern evangelicalism is they, the expectation of God is is at an all-time low it's pretty much hit zero they're just the powerlessness of this gospel the faithlessness of these pastors is overwhelming i think we're seeing what apostasy looks like it is the lapse of faith it is the disappearance of real faith because hey the gospel is such that it comes to a people who've been swamped in homosexuality uh, idolatry addictive sins 
for the last thousand years in Thessalonica and up in Corinth. Okay, and what happened? Well, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Much assurance, as, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. For the, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Hey, these people were saved. These people were transformed. These people were radically affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the power of God. It wasn't the power of persuasive men. It wasn't the power of cool pastors. It wasn't the power of, of PowerPoint <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> this is the power of God. And where there is a new creature, there's new life. There's a regeneration. And there will be victory, measurable, transforming life change. The work of God is going to be marked. When you've become a subject of the power of Almighty God and transforming your life, you'll know it. You'll be feel like you've been struck by lightning. Once somebody's struck by lightning, they're not going to say, I don't know. Did something happen to me? No, something happened to you. Burn, your clothes are burning. And, you know, you've had some electric shock that went through your body. It was the power of God in your life. And when that happens, you will know it. There's no sense in faking it, acting like something's happening in your ministries. Now, when a person's been subject of Jesus' healing power, he will know it as well as the blind man knew that, you know, one thing I know, once I was blind, but now I can see. He's going to know it if it's happened to him. And if a pastor can't say amen to Leviticus 18, Romans 1, and 1 Corinthians 6, he's not a believer. He's not a Christian. It's where we are today, where this powerless gospel, this non-transforming Christianity has affected the pastors as well as the laity. Do you not know, this is what Paul says to the 1 Corinthians 6, the Corinth church, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. It happened. The power of God visited the church at Corinth, and their lives were transformed after a thousand years of nothing but paganism. So, friends, I think here's the problem. Unbelievers and unbelieving pastors cannot see the kingdom of God. They cannot even imagine what the power of God would look like, what it would look like for somebody to be reborn. They view transformation as basically an Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program, a weak Christian psychology recovery group. They've never seen God work, and they wouldn't recognize if it had happened. Why? Because they're unbelievers. They're unbelieving pastors. But as believers, we've seen it. We're hopeful, always hoping for the next miracle of God to happen in our family and in our church. So I'm going to close it this way, friends. Pray for a work of God to visit your churches. Anticipate the work of God in your family. Recognize it. Anticipate it. And praise God for it. And that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. Friends, read the last chapter of my book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West. I deal with the breakdown of evangelicalism in that book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, available at Generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Steve Vaughn inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.